Good evening. This is Peter Hammond in the studio for From the Frontline. And tonight we're dealing with missions to Mpumalanga and KwaZulu. I have the privilege to interview our new frontline missionary, Reverend Ryan Underwood, on our recent missions to Mpumalanga and KwaZulu. So, first of all, Ryan, welcome to Cape Town. How were you converted, if we can ask? Let's start that to introduce you to our listeners. Good evening, Dr. Hammond, and good evening to our listeners. My name is Ryan Underwood. I'm a native of the Georgia Low Country in North America. I was baptized and raised in the traditionalist Roman Catholic movement, i.e. Marcel Lefebvre and Richard Williamson. I was converted at the age of 16 after questioning how an infallible pope can infallibly propagate heresy, such as Vatican II, which says that Muslims and Christians together worship the one merciful God. Around this time, I was corresponding with a retired Protestant minister who had similar views of history and politics as myself. He sent me a copy of the authorized version of the Bible and the Book of Common Prayer. As a Roman Catholic, I said the rosary daily, went to Mass and confession regularly, read the papal magisterium and church fathers, but I had never done a systematic reading of the Bible itself from cover to cover. I began reading the scriptures with the prayer book, the Old Testament once per year and the New Testament twice, the Psalter monthly. As I did, the Lord put his word into my hands and my heart. The scriptures convicted me of sin and self-righteousness. As Isaiah 64, 6 reads, But we are all an, as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. The scriptures brought me to faith in Christ. As St. John writes, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. The scripture showed me the way of Christian manhood and holy living. As David wrote in the Psalms, Psalm 119, Wherefore shall a young man cleanse his way, even by ruling himself after thy word? At this time, I was also rereading Augustine's Confessions. I had read it many times before, but this time a verse stuck out to me from Book 13, Chapter 20. The word of thy messengers, O God, have gone flying over the earth, high in the firmament of thy book, of the sacred scriptures, which is spread over the ministers as the authority beneath which they are to fly wherever they go. This was astounding. Here Augustine, the greatest of the fathers, said that the scriptures are an authority that is above popes, councils, and the church itself. Here is an authority not even the popes can circumvent. I learned that fundamental doctrine, sola scriptura, the scripture alone is our ultimate authority. At nearly the same time I first encountered Dr. Hammond's presentations and writings, I was immediately attracted to your works, as I saw how Dr. Hammond dealt honestly with important questions of history. He did his homework and wasn't afraid to speak controversially, whether it's about the Reformation 
or the Second World War, and the New World Order. Dr. Hammond's ministry helped unravel the lies I had been taught about the Reformation and the papacy. In summary, that's how I became an evangelical and reformed Christian. I am a justified sinner saved by God's sovereign, efficacious, irresistible grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a great testimony, and praise God for the power of the printed word and for the uh, audio and video links that we can put on the internet too, and what a tribute to the Book of Common Prayer and the power of the Scriptures. Outstanding. So you hold to the five solas of the Reformation. Absolutely. So how were you called into ministry in general and to missions and frontline fellowship in particular? I felt called to the ministry from early childhood. My parents supported me throughout. My calling was greatly strengthened by the Christian home education I received at their hands. Prior to my conversion, I thought that my calling to the ministry meant the Roman Catholic priesthood. I even visited a traditional Roman Catholic seminary with the view of applying after matric. After my conversion, this inclination to serve in the ordained ministry was confirmed and strengthened. I did my undergraduate in philosophy, as I have been told that a minister should have four years of philosophy prior to divinity studies. I entered Reformed Episcopal Seminary two weeks after graduation in October 2019 and graduated in May 2021. Our seminary, Reformed Episcopal Seminary, had a tradition. The seminary itself was over 100 years old. That all new students take an oath to test every question by the Holy Scriptures, holding the Bible as a supreme authority in our ministry. I am grateful for the education received there, especially in the fields of Old Testament and dogmatic theology, where I had learned, learned and experienced professors, as well as pastors, who helped greatly prepare me for the ministry. I graduated in the summer of, well, in May of 2021, the American summer, the South African winter. I also passed my canonical exams, and I was ordained in August of 2021. Since then, I have served as a school teacher and associate pastor, or curate. I also uh, have undergoing doctoral studies leading to a doctorate of theology in church history. The 2022 American summer holiday was pivotal in my life and ministerial calling. I received an invitation to, te to teach at Back to the Bible Mission, in the Eastern Transvaal to teach Greek and Hebrew, as well as to participate in Frontline Fellowship's Great Commission course. After this experience, and after much prayer and consideration, I discern a calling to minister in South Africa. My denomination confirmed this calling, authorized me to serve a Frontline Fellowship. I was further authorized to found a branch of our denomination in Africa, the Free Church of England, Cape of Good Hope. More on that later. I completed my teaching contract the 25th of May and flew to Cape Town that afternoon to commence my ministry. You didn't let much grass ground your feet then. Absolutely not. The illness is a devil's playground. Yeah, devil has evil work for idle hands. Uh, so, um, why did you join Frontline Fellowship then? I joined Frontline Fellowship because of, uh, because of its commitment to the Reformed faith 
its emphasis on education, on the renewing of the mind, and the power of the written word, and because of its bold stand against the leading sins and errors of our day, Marxism, secular humanism, Sabbateanism, usury, militant Islam, abortion, LGBTQ, etc. And uh, what training did you receive uh, from Frontline Fellowship once you arrived here? So since joining Frontline Fellowship, I've had numerous opportunities for service, including leadership training, school evangelism, radio ministry, literature distribution, pastoral counseling, preaching, and teaching. In January, I was privileged to assist as a tutor at the Great Commission course. This is January of 2022. I gave uh, approximately 14 hours of lectures and dis in addition to assisting in other capacities with the but course. But of course, that wasn't your first GCC. No, sir. The first one was in the June of 2022. Um, so, um, tell us more about the ministry opportunities you've had since you've come to Africa this year. Yes. So, since arriving at the end of May, I have had the privilege of laying the groundwork for the Free Church of England, Cape of Good Hope, uh, which is a part of the Free Church of England Evangelical Connection. Our connection dates back to the First Great Awakening in the Countess of Huntington's Connection, and we have a presence on four continents, including restricted access countries. The Free Church of England, Cape of Good Hope, aims to provide reformed, evangelical, missionally-minded congregations through the Greater Cape, Northern Cape, Eastern Cape, Western Cape, with a classic Book of Common Prayer, psalms and hymn singing, exegetical preaching, Christian education, and zealous evangelism. I was saying, so uh, what experience have you had since um, uh, coming to the Cape now and you start out in Eastern Transvaal? Yes. So shortly after arriving this winter, I had the privilege of undertaking a month-long teaching mission to Eastern Transvaal and Natal. I was invited back to teach again at Back to the Bible Mission in Barberton, this Bible college was founded in 1991 as an interdenominational reformed theological college with the goal of training pastors and missionaries to win Africa for Christ. Nestled in a mountainous valley amidst citrus groves and macadamia farms, BBM is ideally situated for restful study and spiritual formation. This was my second year teaching at BBM, and it was a pleasure to see both familiar and new faces among the student body which consists of approximately 100 students and staff from 15 African countries. During, uh, and I was accompanied on this mission by Dr. Peter Hammond. During our three-week stay at BBM, we had a full schedule of ministry. Dr. Hammond taught African church history, followed by my teaching two weeks of Biblical Greek and Hebrew. During Dr. Hammond's week of lectures, I was honored to serve as his teaching assistant. Additionally, Dr. Hammond taught a three-day discipleship training course to inmates at nearby Barberton Prison. This was offered in conjunction with Amazing Grace Church, a unique congregation run by prisoners located within the prison, founded as an outreach of BBM. So, um, what were your impressions of Kwasabanta Mission when you went to KwaZulu? Yes. So, after completing my two weeks of Greek and Hebrew lectures, I took the plane from Nelsprite to Durban, where I met with Dr. Hammond again, and then we drove out to Kwasi Sabantu Mission in the hill country of Natal. Our objective? To minister at their 
annual youth conference. Kwasi Sabantu Mission is a farm-based ministry to the Zulus, rooted in the German Lutheran tradition, and has been blessed with numerous revivals in its history. The mission's founder, the Reverend Erlo Stegen, has faithfully served the Lord for over 70 years. KSB has been described by one veteran American missionary as the best-run and most blessed mission in the world. Having seen KSB at its busiest and most stressful period, when it had over 8,000 young people to shepherd and oversee during the youth conference, I cannot imagine any mission or church work running more efficiently and effectively. The youth conference included excellent lectures, edifying sermons, and a field day to stretch the young people's muscles. Uh, many of the Students who came to the conference were from poverty and crime-stricken townships in the Eastern Cape and the Orange Free State. Attendees included school-aged children um, addicted to drugs, alcohol, fornication, violence, and witchcraft. There was spiritual counseling available after each session. We are told many of the young people showed, help, showed hopeful signs of conviction and sorrow for sin, affirmed faith in Christ, and pledged themselves to repentance. In summary, from beginning to end, my experience at Kwasi Subuntu Mission was refreshing, uplifting, encouraging, instructive, and edifying. Praise God for the great vital work he is undertaking at and through Kwasi Subuntu Mission. It's wonderful to know a mission so faithful to the scriptures, to Bible teaching and practical discipleship, applying God's law to every area. Of life. Well, I can certainly second that. Having traveled in 42 countries and ministered in 38 countries, I've never seen any work that can compare to Kwasabantu in depth and extent and in blessing. There's no doubt God has poured out his revival blessings. It's as John 7 speaks of that rivers of living water will flow out from you. And you can see rivers of living water are flowing there, both physically and spiritually uh, in their lives and impacting people far and away. I mean, even Yesterday, we received a family that last saw during a Reformation 500 events in Belgium connect with Kwasabantu Mission, coming over and, and stayed the night here at this mission and to see how their children love reading and being home educated. You can just see they have impacted so many people's lives and to see so many clean-cut, healthy young people who don't see the need for makeup or uh, earrings or body piercing or tattoos, anything like this, and they clean, neat, healthy, and loving outdoors, loving books, loving reading and prayer and hymn singing, all these great choirs, and to see thousands of young people who are clean living. It's so refreshing. It's so unusual. And you can see this This is such a ministry because, yes, they have ministers' conferences, they have teachers' conferences, they have parents' conferences, but they have two youth conferences a year, July and December. And Thousands of young people coming in. It's a massive logistical challenge. I think our listeners can imagine to provide three meals a day for 8,000 young people. That's a huge logistical operation. And they don't charge anyone a thing. I mean, they transport the people, they fetch them from the farms, they bring them there, and they house them and provide them with beds, mattresses, bedding, and so on, and a three good meals, not just good meals. Many of the children say it's the best food they'll eat all year. And that certainly was our experience too. The hospitality there is phenomenal, and it's everyone involved in this. You can see the schools, the college, 
everything closes down, everyone just focuses on serving, caring for the guests, and, and of course, counselling. And the counselling can go on till midnight or later. And there's so many people we know who they were cooking, they were serving, and they were counselling. And that's a lot of work. Any of that's a lot of work. But they be, would be doing it with a joyful heart. And you didn't see grumpy people at, at the mission, not the staff or the residents anyway. And uh, they were just joyfully serving like it was a privilege to serve, as unto the Lord. That really is magnificent. So can I ask then, what lessons did you learn from Back to the Bible mission and Kwasabantu mission, considering you had two major missions in the last month? I learned a number of valuable takeaways from BBM and KSB, from Back to the Bible mission and Kwasabantu mission. In the Transvaal, I learned that public schools are a mission field. Upon arrival at BBM, General Mulder, the rector of the college, invited me to preach before 200-plus black African students at a local public high school. I was pleasantly surprised by this invitation, as public schools in the States seldom invite ministers to speak. I didn't have a sermon prepared for the occasion, but, as is often said, a a minister must be ready and willing to preach, pray, or die at a moment's notice. As I was considering sermon topics, the general informed me that the transgender cult was making significant inroads within South African education, and that Barberton High School recently established gender-neutral bathrooms. Mm. Hearing this, I decided to use this opportunity to preach against Gay Pride Month, it being the month of June, taking as my text Proverbs 16.18, Pride goeth before destruction, and an haughty spirit before a fall. Gay pride is why Sodom got fried. Ministers must not preach feel-good messages, but the word of life and the law of Christ that condemns the key sins of our day and beckons to the way of righteousness. So many children are languishing, being brainwashed in the public schools. It's critical that Christians reach out to these children as opportunity affords and present them with the true gospel of Christ. Another lesson that I learned involved unseen miracles, meeting Christ in a prison. Dr. Hammond's prison ministry culminated in a Sunday worship service and prize giving. The BBM Back to the Bible Mission student choir sang beautifully. Dr. Hammond preached on Philemon, and I gave the closing benediction, reminding the captive congregation that the most important question ever asked was uttered in a prison. Acts 16.30 Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Asked the Philippian jailer. And the apostle said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. It was heartwarming to see the convict congregation's spiritual vitality. Hardened criminals showing signs of genuine repentance and faith. Joyfully praising the Lord Jesus Christ amidst their bondage. This congregation is hidden behind iron bars and high-security fences. It is invisible to the world. Yet there, are this congregation, yet there at this congregation, the pure word of God is preached, and the Holy Spirit is at work. In this way, the greatest miracle in the world is being performed, the conversion of sinful hearts. We often think of convicts as criminals to be avoided, Rather, we should look at prisons as mission fields of lost souls, 
we can spread the everlasting gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, give them the message of repentance and remission of sins, of true restitution, and a new life in Christ. Another lesson I learned, Wilson the Transvaal, was the importance of multifaceted teaching. Our first full week in Barberton was given to Dr. Hammond's lectures in African church history. BBM implements multifaceted instruction. BBM trains mind, body, and spirit for the fulfillment of the Great Commission, something they share in common with Frontline Fellowship. BBM immerses students in a systematic study of every Bible book, as well as offering a standard divinity curriculum. Dr. Hammond's African Church History course trained the mind through educational films and well-prepared and visually appealing lectures on ecclesiastical history in Africa, from St. Mark's founding of the Alexandrian Church to the ongoing revivals at Kwasi Subantu Mission in Zululand today. We used a variety of learning methods, including, um, including engaging church history films like uh, Khartoum and Polycarp. Frontline Fellowship also donated an African church history manual to each student. Numerous, numerous students came to me afterwards and expressed interest in building their own personal theological libraries after receiving their textbook. That's an important ministry Frontline Fellowship has been involved with for years. Libraries for pastors, bringing good books to the homes of pastors throughout Africa. We also had opportunity to train our students' bodies, setting aside Wednesday afternoon for physical education, fire safety training, and self-defense training. Finally, BBM students were trained spiritually, devotions every morning, and evangelism explosion training throughout the week. Sunday student outreaches. I accompanied one student to the Sheba Township, where she helped a young girl learn to read English with Bible stories. All students are required to attend daily devotions each morning, and preaching practicums every Monday night. All students and staff are given a notebook where they write their daily Bible verse they might be called upon to present at devotions. This is a healthy practice that encourages the community to be faithful in their Bible reading. Perhaps you might implement it in your own families. Monday, the 12th of June, was set aside as a day of special fasting and prayer. This was in preparation for a celebration of the Lord's Supper that evening, where the whole college communicated, staff and students together. Dr. Hammond preached, and I presided at the Lord's Supper, using the timeless liturgy of the Free Church of England's Book of Common Prayer. Students examined their consciences in light of the Ten Commandments, and confessed their sins to God. They renewed their faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed, and prayed corporately by reciting the Lord's Prayer. For many students, this was their first exposure to Reformation-era worship. The day helped unite and reinvigorate the college community. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 17, For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. One other lesson I learned, Wilson of Transvaal, is that the Bible can make even a dull subject enjoyable. Dr. Hammond returned to Cape Town after his course ended. I stayed on another two weeks teaching Greek and Hebrew. Let's face it, for many, myself included, language studies are not terribly appealing. So much of it is rote memorization of grammar rules and tables, vocabulary and vowel points. Such studies easily become tedious. To avoid this, in teaching Greek and Hebrew at BBM, I first explain why we study these languages. 
because they are biblical languages, and being able to read scripture in the original languages will make our sermons more doctrinally sound and better food for the flock of Christ. If you can show students why they are learning a particular thing, and you can convince them that the reason is an important one, they will be much more enthusiastic in their studies. Like Dr. Hammond, I use multiple means of drilling Greek and Hebrew into the students' minds. Students were taught to sing the alphabets, uh, were shown how many times each vocabulary word occurred in the Bible, as well as given practice exercises for phonetic reading with singing Greek and Hebrew hymns. In between lectures, I showed students numerous videos from the Trinitarian Bible Society on Bible translation, Bible production, and Bible distribution. The students thoroughly enjoyed the Greek and Hebrew courses, and some expressed interest in uh, going further in their Greek and Hebrew studies, ultimately entering these ministry fields upon completion of their college education. Uh, I also have opportunity to address the staff on uh, mul uh, multiple topics, including Christian work ethic and the Sabbath rest, praying always, principles for biblical worship, and the Virgin Mary, a model for true femininity, an address which I gave to the women of BBM. I finished grading my Hebrew examinations at 2 a.m. the morning of my departure from BBM. After about two or three hours rest, we had morning devotions at the Mulder's home and then a prize-giving ceremony at 8 a.m. Frontline Fellowship generously donated to Hebrew Old Testaments and Greek New Testaments for the highest marks. Surprisingly, the highest earners were all female students this year, and the same student earned the highest marks in first-year Greek and first-year Hebrew. Well, that is inspiring. What did you learn at Kwasi Mission in KwaZulu? I learned a number of very important lessons at Kwasi Subantu Mission. First, hospitality is love in action. As Dr. Hammond mentioned, Kwasi Subantu Mission is an example of excellence in Christian hospitality. Not only the men and women, but even the small children labored tirelessly in hospitality to make the youth conference a success. During a tour of the mission, I was shown a temporary cooking room where volunteers toiled for hours around massive pots to prepare healthy and satisfying meals for the thousands of youth present each day. Many of the black children told me that they had never eaten so well before. Even Earl Segan's uh, grandchildren, some not more than six or seven years old, took their turn helping with meal preparation and delivery, either for the participants or for guest ministers, teachers, and lecturers at the Stegan home. KSB's example served as an important reminder that showing hospitality is a vital and practical application of Christian love, and that it's not so much what you provide as how you provide it, namely, with a joyful and selfless heart in service of Christ. As Matthew 10, 8 right, reads, Freely ye have received, freely give. Ministers and missionaries are especially called to the work of hospitality, as Paul makes clear in his pastoral epistles. We can learn a lot from Kwasi Subantu's example on that point. I also learned that healthy environments lead to healthy living. Kwasi Subantu has a very healthy living and working environment. 
That is for three reasons. First, structural organization. Second, good natural resources. And third, biblically-based corporate spiritual life. Kwasi's Ubuntu is organizationally healthy. Running a youth conference this size is inevitably stressful, but amazingly, there was no noticeable friction or conflict among the staff. Everyone knew their role and accomplished it happily. I learned from KSB how well-ordered hierarchical structure, sound leadership, and respect for authority contributes to the overall peace, happiness, and efficiency of a mission. KSB also enjoys healthy surroundings. Kwasi Subantu is situated in the beautiful hill country of Natal, with fresh air, clean water, organic food, and abundant wildlife. It even has a wildlife refuge on the property. This definitely contributes to a healthy living and working environment. Spiritually, Kwasi Subantu is a place of health, help, and healing. Above all, what contributes to the healthy environment at Kwasi Subantu is the mission's vibrant spiritual life and corporate devotion to Almighty God. Speaking with the mission families, those who live on the property, I found that they raised their children in the fear of God with biblically sound education and wholesome pastimes, teaching them moral maturity and self-responsibility from an early age. The staff and employees are not exempt from spiritual discipline. They begin each workday with prayer and Bible reading. There are also daily devotions where the whole community is welcome to take part. The spiritual discipline purges the mission of many sinful inclinations, which plague secular society and corporations. Speaking of staff and employees, I found that they are more content and satisfied with their positions than those of any other corporation I've come across. In short, Kwasi's Ubuntu mission lays a strong emphasis on plain Bible teaching and practical discipleship, applying the law of God to every area of life. This makes for a happy and healthy community. A further lesson I learned from Kwasi's Ubuntu is the importance of self-responsibility and, uh, and sustainability. KSB is a self-sustaining mission. It does not campaign for support or take offerings during its services, but raises funds by farming the land, as well as bottling fresh spring water found on its property. KSB plants the seed and trusts God for the increase. KSB's farming not only supports the mission, it also provides fresh and wholesome, fresh and wholesome water and food for South Africa and beyond. Indeed, the farming and water bottling services at KSB are what paid for the youth conference and what allowed all those young people to hear the word of God in the towel uh, just a uh, week or so ago. I was taken on a tour of KSB agricultural lands in the Aquila water bottling factory. Their main products are peppers, avocados, and cabbages. Their water bottling facility is an engineering marvel with patented technology to expedite production. KSB builds responsibly for the long term, for the goal of stability and sustainability for the community and its surrounding habitat. 
Well, it's a place that one wants to go back to again and again. Uh, where can we learn more about Kwasabant Mission or Back to the Bible Mission? Yes. To learn more about Kwasi Subuntu Mission and Back to the Bible Mission, you can visit their websites, Back to the Bible Mission, www.back2tobible.wordpress.com, and Kwasi Subuntu Mission, www.ksb.org.za. Now, the ZA being for South Africa, South Africa, or ZA as Americans would say. Front, uh, that's ksb.org.za or ZA. And there's some great books out. Um, Elfrieda Fleischmann has brought out Bondservant of Christ on Erlo Hartwig Stegen, which is a well-illustrated, fascinating book that goes over the whole history, going all the way back to the original vision in Germany where, growing out of revival, uh, a group of missionaries and missionary-minded farmers determined to go to Africa and uh, they found the cost of sea tickets was so intense they found it cheaper to build their own boat the Candace named after Queen Candace in the Bible the Ethiopian eunuch was a servant of Queen Candace of Moreau what today is Sudan so they named their ship the Candace and it made multiple trips to Africa taking not only missionaries evangelists and pastors but farmers who were going to be a support for the missionaries to provide a self supporting network where they would be the counsellors and uh, provide so that the missionary would have enough food, would have enough uh, facilities, would help build the churches, the uh, outreach centres and everything else that's involved. And Erla Stegan's grandparents came out not to be missionaries but to be farmers to support the missionaries. And now Erla Stegan, the uh, fourth son of this uh, missionary family uh, or farming family, uh, went into missions and is a real uh, fulfilment of Louis Harams, who's the evangelist in Germany who first got the vision and sent out these people. And they sent them out saying, you stay in Africa, you don't come back, no uh, coming back, you get buried in Africa, you stay there. No, nobody's coming home, you're going out one, one way. And so here's Ulla Stegen, a third generation German from this revival in Germany where they um, headed out and now he's got six children and 24 Actually, it's 25 grandchildren staying with him at the moment, and all in and around his house, which is extraordinary. I remember people saying, uh, back years ago, decades ago, I heard somebody saying, Erla Stegen is too strict. When his children turn six, uh, 18, he'll never see them again. Well, there's all of his daughters living in and around his home, and all of his grandchildren living in and around his home. Who else do you know that's got that privilege? That's absolutely extraordinary testimony. And they're all involved in the work, and many of the people who were catering for us and caring for us this week were actually the grandchildren of Erla Stegen. So Erla Stegen has poured his heart and soul not into this one mission station, but many others. Just recently started a church plant down in Chigela Valley, which is very, very, very uh, hot, uh, way down uh, across the winter missions, about uh, a mile high altitude-wise, and uh, about over 3,600 feet above sea level. But now down, way down to almost sea level, he started new mission, Magogo, which is in Tugela Valley, and that's growing so rapidly. It's a phenomenal uh, operation in a place where the local people said nothing could grow except thorn bushes. And he's growing everything from dragon fruit to pineapples and tremendous amount of, of uh, variety. And uh, when asked what's your secret, he said uh, irrigation. Irrigation, that's the main thing. They've got the Tugela River, and he irrigates, and he's made the 
wilderness um, come alive with very wonderful forms, providing phenomenal amount of employment and ministry, and the people keep coming uh, there uh, for whether they're coming for work or to the shop, but they hear the gospel, they get converted. They've got a school going there, and again and again, he's done this all over there. Hundreds of thousands of Zulus connected with Kwasabantu congregations all over KwaZulu-Natal, but they've also now got mission stations as far afield as Romania and Ukraine and Russia and Australia, uh, Paraguay, uh, all over South Africa and in Mozambique even. And phenomenal uh, vision. There's the radio station, Radio Quasi, which you ministered at as well. There's the school, which has sometimes had the top student in the country. Uh, amazingly so. And it's not like a special school sense of um, facilities, but very dedicated um, staff. And, of course, Christ-centered and Bible-based. They've got a teacher training college, Cedar College, uh, which has attracted s- students from Europe and uh, Korea even to come and study. And uh, they've got their choirs, of course, that go and travel all over doing ministry that way. The choirs aren't just people who sing. They share the gospel, they lay preachers, they do counseling. So they're spiritual workers who also sing. And so you can see our music is being wonderfully used as Martin Luther said he wouldn't recommend anyone to teach if they uh, were not well uh, excised in the musical arts. Jeremy said music is a wonderful vehicle for uh, honoring the Lord and to advance the gospel. So Martin Luther saw music as key, and he didn't just write great theological books and catechisms. He wrote hymns, including A Mighty Fortress of God, which will live forever, the Battle Hymn of the Reformation. So what we're seeing in KwaZulu is a remarkable testimony to the ministry of Martin Luther and the spiritual revivals from Germany, which sent out a sustainable model that Kwasabansi is not only sustaining itself, but it is, in fact, sending missionaries back to Europe, which is what a fulfillment of, of this great vision. Uh, so what Louis Holmes had a vision of uh, generations ago continues to bless people in Africa and is being a blessing to people in other continents so this ministry is continuing, and if people want to read, they should contact Kwasabansi and get hold of the book, such as Bond Servants of Christ, uh, which is the testimony of Erlo Stegen and his work. There's also some great videos on the Kwasabansi website that you can see, including When God Came Down and uh, uh, a recent film now made by the children and grandchildren of Erlo Stegen on uh, his early life, how he got called and began his work and how God moved and how the revival came. And to see some of these on the school, on the Aquila water bottling factory and so many other initiatives, you can just see it's a it's a place of so many entrepreneurial Christian work ethic uh, initiatives. And they are so phenomenally inventive and creative. Their farming methods are some of the most advanced around. And uh, you can see the technological excellence of whether it's the studios, whether it's a teacher training college, the school. It's all excellence, and my wife used to say the verse it seems that inspires everyone at Cross the Bunches in honor preferring one another. And there is this sense of honor of uh, wanting to serve others and to love their neighbor, to love their guests. They certainly have the gift of hospitality. I don't know anywhere in the world that can compare with Cross the in terms of hospitality. So that is a great thing. Um, how would you recommend that we pray for these ministries? Regarding BBM, I recommend that you pray for the staff, for the faculty, and for the students. 
BBM is a faith mission. They live on the uh, prayers and support of uh, fellow Christians. Uh, please pray that BBM will continue to attract um, doctrinally sound and selfless professors to teach there, as well as students who are uh, who are sincere in their belief that they are called to the ministry, who are there not for self-glory, but for God's glory. Regarding Kwasi Subantu, I ask that you please pray for um, the, the leadership there, the Stegan family, as well as all the people who support them. Um, we uh, ask your prayers for the various outlets and uh, means of ministry, whether it's their ministry to um, to drug addicts and gang uh, former gang members, whether it's their uh, ministry with Aquila Water, um, whether it's uh, their youth conferences or their ministers' conferences. We ask that you pray that, that they would continue to be faithful and zealous for the gospel. Um, we also ask your prayers particularly for Erlo Stegan, um, that God would uh, bless him and protect him and keep him, um, that at the last he might hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm sure he will hear that, but he is going through ill health right now and being bedridden, being cared for by his children and grandchildren at home, which is a wonderful way that they're showing love for their father and grandfather. So to pray for KSB, who of course, like any good work, have their detractors and critics and people who are malicious. So there's a new book coming out soon, A Journey for the Truth, Investigation into Ethical Journalism uh, by Gerda Potkita, which we strongly recommend people look out for when that book comes out. It's phenomenal exposition of some of the best investigative journalism I've come across, exposing the trail of treachery uh, behind the campaign, a massive campaign, not just nationally but internationally, to try and bring down this magnificent work of God. And uh, Gerda Potkitz, who's a journalist, editor of Devoted magazine, has done a phenomenal work, and I've had the privilege of proofreading a book and seeing uh, what phenomenal work's been done. But it, it reads more in interesting than a detective novel. So that's that's on an, an expose of the campaign against KSB and refuting it. But just for a straight edifying book, Bond Servant of Christ is highly recommended. The video to introduce you to what happened there would be When God Came Down. But there's other books in KSB, like Uncle Ulo's written Revival Among the Zulus. And Kurt Koch, Dr. Kurt Koch, the great occultist and revival expert, wrote the book God Among the Zulus, which we helped to reprint some time ago. All of these are available from Christian Liberty Books or directly from Quest Subantum Mission. So you can visit www.christianlibertybooks.co.za or visit www.ksb.org.za or ZA, as Americans would pronounce it. So praise God for the living waters that have come from KSB. 1 Corinthians 15 declares, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Thank you very much for joining us. Please join us again same time next week. God bless and good night.